Thunder fans, ho! Welcome to the Pod of Thundera, where we take every episode of the original Thundercats, sight beyond sight. We will discuss characters, plot, world, overall episode quality, and assess whether the episode holds up by today's standards, and how it can be updated for current audiences. I'm your host, Lars Beckley. Let's feel the magic, hear the roar, and let loose. Today's episode is called The Slaves of Castle Plundar. It is the fourth episode of the very first season, where the moral of the story is follow the outer space version of the Geneva Convention and slavery is bad. What a groundbreaking hot take. Let's roll. Time for a synopsis. Spoilers, but you knew that. Our story begins with Wily Kit and Cat playing in the woods, Wily Kit outpacing her clumsier brother and essentially telling him to die mad about it when they spot a procession of lumbering creatures carrying boulders. They discover that the mutants have enslaved these people called Brute Men, following them to their newly constructed castle Plundar. While sneaking about, they accidentally catch the attention of Monkeyan via inconveniently loose coconut. The twins make a run for it, Monkeyan in hot pursuit. They are able to escape thanks to a grease pellet from Wily Kit. They skitter off to Cat Slayer to inform the older Thundercats what they saw. Being decidedly anti-slavery, thank god, Lionel, Panthro, Tigra, and Chitara leap into the Thunder Tank and floor it to Castle Plundar, leaving the Wily Twins to stand guard over Cat's Lair. The mutants prepare for the Thundercats' arrival by having the Brute Men create a barricade and preparing an ambush. The Thunder Tank chews through the sloppily crafted barrier like tissue paper. The Thundercats split up to free the Brute Men and sniff out the mutants. Chitara pairs off against Jackalman, Tigra pairs off against Monkeyan, and Panthro pairs off against Slive. Panthro's fight against Slive is more intense than the others, initially fighting with weapons, becoming a bare-knuckled throwdown after Panthro disarms Slive. Slive stuns Panthro and flees. Panthro pursues. Meanwhile, Lionel struggles to herd the Brute Men toward the exit. Slive unleashes a grenade of warp gas, which turns both Lionel and the Brute Men from amicable to angry. The Brute Men heavily outnumber Lionel and knock him unconscious as he tries to make for the exit. Slythe lowers Panthro toward the gas-maddened Brute Men. They overcome Panthro as he tries to avoid hurting them. Lionel comes to with the Eye of Thundera, warning him of the danger. The Eye penetrates the dark dungeon and signals Tigra and Chitara to come to Panthro's aid. He's being driven back by the Brute Men. Why he doesn't just run in the opposite direction remains a mystery. Luckily, the warp gas wears off before they can whoop Panthro's butt. We learn from Tigra and Chitara that warp gas is outlawed by the Geneva Convention. I mean, the Interstellar Council. Tigra waxes philosophical about how rules are useless if they aren't followed. Kind of like how no powerful country actually follows the Geneva Conventions in real life. Oops! Thundercat's getting real up in here. The Brute Men, still maddened by the gas, start making toward Lionel, who protects himself with the force field of the Sword of Omens, which is apparently airtight driving the Brute Men instead toward the mutants. Hooray, comeuppance. It's okay if you break the rules as long as it's against the bad guys, am I right? The mutants escape the wrath of the Brute Men, so they turn on Lionel once again, who refuses to run because of his usual excuse, aka, I am Lord of the Thundercats, you can't tell me what to do, and Shitara is, rightfully so, incredulously going, What? That is so stupid! This isn't a tail measuring contest, let's get out of here! Fortunately, or perhaps unfortunately, she doesn't get a chance to prove her point as the warp gas wears off right as the Brute Men reach them. Tigra goes into a melodramatic speech to the Brute Men about how they are no longer under the thumb of mutant kind, but a simple you're free from Lionel is more understandable and eloquent to them. Lionel regales the Wily Twins with the adventure, noting that the Brute Men never said thank you. 
to which Panthero and Tiger reasonably object. Lionel gets sheepish and admits that he didn't free the brute men from slavery for clout, so that's good, I guess. Cue Snarf making a snide comment about how Lionel got his moral compass from him, and fade out. Moving on to the story and world. What do we learn about the Thundercats, Thundera, and their adopted world of Third Earth through this episode? We get introduced to an iconic, if underutilized, weapon in the Thundercats universe, Warp Gas, a biochemical weapon that inverts the emotions and nature of its victims, making Lionel feel angry and belligerent where previously he was feeling amicable and sympathetic, making the gentle brute men violent. Though I do have a bit of a crack theory about them, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So, the brute men. Big, gangly, hunched, groaning, and babbling humanoids that everyone seems to assume are stupid that the mutants have enslaved in order to build Castle Plundar. The thing is, though, Tigra comments on how intelligent the Burbles are for being able to build Cat Slayer so efficiently and easily by following his plans, so... Castle Plundar is also almost complete. It has equal, if slightly lesser, firepower to Cat Slayer, and was built about as quickly. Wouldn't that in mean that the Brute Men are highly intelligent, too? I mean, they'd have to be for Castle Plunder to not be falling apart and its technology to work, especially since Vulture Man isn't there yet. Also, wouldn't the Warp Gas, if their core characteristics are stupid and gentle, have made them angry and intelligent? My theory is that, provided they can understand conventional speech, they don't argue with the fact that people think that they're stupid when in actuality they're very intelligent and gain the upper hand through being underestimated. Maybe once they were captured and forced to work, knowing the mutants were pretty obviously evil, sabotaged the completion of Castle Plundar by playing dumb. Either they continued to feign stupidity after the Thundercats started talking to them, or maybe they just don't communicate with words. Maybe they're telepathic or use sign language or just don't speak the Third Earth equivalent of English. So, while Tigra's lofty little speech was lost on them due to the language barrier, the smaller word freedom was not. And no, this theory was not just born of my dislike of entire races and species core characteristic being stupid. Although that was a big factor. Moving on to the Sword of Omens. In this episode, it penetrates through stone for the first time, something it couldn't do in the Unholy Alliance. I wonder if it has anything to do with it being a Thundercat other than Lionel in danger, if the selflessness of it had anything to do with it. We also learn that the force field feature of the Sword of Omens is airtight, protecting Lionel from the warp gas. Moving on to character highlights. What do we learn about the Thundercats? What do they do? Like the pilot, we don't really learn anything new about Lionel. It's more about the plot happening to him than Lionel happening to the plot. He's still the same prideful, naive child man we've come to know. Except for the fact that he finally, he's more about doing the right thing than getting hero clout, so that's a relief. And because of his surprising lack of screen time, we actually get to learn more about the other characters! Finally! Woo! Tiger speaks for everyone when he's complimenting the Robear Burbles, I think, and again, he's further confirming my idea that of all the Thundercats, he'd get along best with them. He also continues to be a preachy nerd, like... What was up with him looking directly at the camera and talking about rules and then like preaching to the brute men about freedom and stuff like they weren't just literally freed from slavery right then? <sighs> you can't win them all, Tigra. Oh my god, I finally have things to say about Chitara. She continues to reaffirm my theory that she and Tigra have become unspoken foster parents of the Wily twins by being like, the kids aren't alright from like a huge distance. And then she and Tigra both deciding to go check on them. 
She also really cuts through Lionel's prideful nonsense at the end there, and that's definitely something she ends up doing more with the guys, like, a lot. Which suggests wisdom and humility, but Thundera forbid anybody listen to her. I know I'd be a bit more salty if I were in her shoes. Moving on to Panthro, who is overjoyed to be able to use the tank. A true car dad at work. But more importantly, I feel like Slythe and Panthro had a vendetta going on. They banter like they've been enemies for a long time, especially when they stop using their weapons and start throwing down physically. Especially since Panthro goes after Slive after he's retreated, which is something that Thundercats don't normally do. They usually just let the mutants go, and mutants are usually cowardly and don't continue instigating a fight after they've become even slightly vulnerable. It really makes me wonder what would have happened if they stuck to the vibes from this episode between them. And then moving on to the Wily twins, which also finally get some character depth. There's a lot of firsts this episode, among them the Wily twins getting screen time. They get fleshed out a bit more, notably that they're both highly competitive with each other, although Wily Cat is significantly clumsier and more cautious than Wily Kit, which becomes a running gag throughout the series. While Wily Cat is the more snarky of the two, Wily Kit is very braggadocious. She doesn't really hesitate to point out cat slip-ups and leaps at anybody questioning her ability to do anything, hence the coconut incident. Wily Kit also seems a bit protective, maybe even overprotective of Wily Kit, probably because she's so much more precocious than him. He does put her safety above his own confronting monkey in. As they get more established as characters, and not just because they're voiced by Lynn Lipton and Peter Newman, they kind of start mirroring Shitara and Tigra in their personalities. And I look forward to exploring that more in an episode where it's a little bit more obvious. Starf really wasn't in this episode for whatever reason, so we're just gonna move on. Let's address the overall quality. How are the sound, music, animation, and voice acting? We have character themes! Keep them. They're amazing. I wish more shows had them. They really capture a character's vibe through music. Although we only really get three, since everything musically tied to the Sword of Omens is tied to Lion-O, and Snarf and the Wily Twins are usually stuck with the whimsical track or the generic action sequence track, which just leaves Shitara, Tigra, and Panther with genuine full-blown character themes that only play when that character is being highlighted. Chitara's is peppy and fast. It's very Olympic game sounding. Very fitting for her. I forget, but I think there's a slightly different version of it when she's using her sixth sense rather than just her super speed. I guess we'll find out together. Tigra's is really elegant. It, it's also my personal favorite. I really like that trickling synth. It really em emphasizes his sort of mysterious and mystical vibe despite being a man of science. And then Panthros is also a banger. Electric guitar, heavy on the bass and drums. Dare I say grungy? Though that genre didn't exist yet, it's heavy duty and kick butt, just like the character. And as far as animation goes, we're back to the original quality we saw in the pilot! Booyah! Complete and smooth action sequences and the facial expressions are back on par, they're very distinct and mostly make sense. The bar might not be too far above the floor compared to today's standards, but this episode certainly passed it. Eat your heart out, Star Trek the Animated Series. As far as voice acting goes, we got to see a bit more voice work from Lynn Lipton this episode, and it's about time too. Now that we have an episode that has, like, more than a couple of lines from her in any given episode, I want to sing her praises a bit. She's a fantastic voice actress, and we really don't see her do fierce in this episode, but I love how she pulls it off later, because it's very growly and ferocious. I always liked how she sounded the most cat-like out of all of them, without being too 
whatever the audio version is of male gaze-y. It's a nice balance between femininity and confidence. Not only that, but up until Jerry Ann Raphael comes onto the show, she's really doing all of the female voices on the entire show. And she has the lion's share even after Raphael comes into the picture. Also, let's face it, she has the most convincing child voice out of all of them. Sorry, Peter Newman. Not sorry, Larry Kenny. And again, I gotta highlight Earl Hyman. Panthro has so much personality. He's got the most organic line delivery out of all of them. That animosity towards the mutants and Slythe in particular is what planted the idea in my head that maybe he and Slythe were nemeses. Well done, sir. Well done. Now we've come to the final score. Does it hold up and does it need any modern updates? I went into this episode remembering it as kind of meh, but honestly, it's actually better than the past couple episodes we've had, despite my abiding love for Robert Burbles. I can't think of anything seriously wrong with it, other than the brute men being that kind of iffy and questionable race of sentient but helpless idiots trope. But that can be explained away by that theory I explained in the story and world segment. If I had to try and update it, it's more about what I'd keep from this episode that you don't see blatantly later. And that is the nemesis chemistry between Panthro and Slive. That was cool. But they never elaborate, as 80s cartoons are wont to do. That and I'd make the whole, the brute men are secretly intelligent, we just don't understand them theory a bit more obvious. But other than that, it's pretty golden. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pod of Thundera. I've been your host, Lars Beckley. Thundercats is property of Rankin Bass. The song Thundercats intro theme song guitar cover instrumental extended TV metal provided by Javier Bustacara Ruiz. Tune in next time for Thundercats Season 1, Episode 5. Pumrah. Thunder fans? Ho!